नमस्ते सो वी आर विद द लाइफ डिवाइन और शेल वी से द जर्नी टू द लाइफ डिवाइन एंड द जर्नी बिगिन्स एज वी रेड यस्टरडे इज बिगिन्स विद ह्यूमन एस्पिरेशन इट इज ऑब्वियस दैट इफ देर इज नो एस्पिरेशन देर इज नो क्वेश्चन ऑफ अराइविंग एट वॉट एवर वी आर डेस्टाइन टू अराइव एट नाउ दिस इज इंटरेस्टिंग दैट दिस जर्नी और दिस एस्पिरेशन इज टेकन different forms over the different ages and even in the ages when there has been a complete denial of god still there is this aspiration for a perfect beautiful human life essentially if we look at it closely examine it closely it still is the aspiration for the life divine but the terms divine is not used but there is this aspiration for a perfect life upon earth and naturally the methods human beings try are limited to the instrument limited to the uh, truth that we are exploring the means through which we are exploring but this aspiration is there human beings are marked we can say that true human uh, humanity begins with this aspiration one thing before we start reading some of the passages uh, what i thought is we'll just take up some of the key ideas read some of the passages but even before that in every chapter of sharbindo in the life divine something very similar we'll see in essays on the geeta and human cycle in fact in all the books that the first paragraph sets the note and if it is um, let's say consequent to a chapter then in a way it summarizes so we see two kinds of summary appearing in each chapter the first chapter the first paragraph of each chapter first one or two paragraphs and then the last paragraph of each chapter so that's a very good way to arrive at um, what really shubindu is intending but of course there are wonderful things in between so for example in the human aspiration human beings have aspired always for an ideal state a perfect state uh, of humanity individually and collectively the dream of ram raj the dream of kingdom of heaven upon earth but what we see is that uh, our actual life outwardly is a star contradiction so the whole argument of the life divine if you may use the word argument as i said again and again it's based on shubindu's direct personal experience but it is presented in the way of argument so there are people who say no no it is like purva paksh uttar paksh well that's not quite true because shubindu is actually had the experience and he is stating in a language which is comprehensive uh, comprehensible to the human mind at one place he even says that the life divine was written primarily to silence the mind of uh, uh, those kind of thinkers who love to rationally argue and discuss things so uh, it is put in those terms so uh, but essentially what is this thought tending towards what is the aspiration within this thought so the key of this thought that shirobindo is taking us on a journey of thought let's put it like that uh, where thought can melt into that ultimate experience he takes us through the thought takes us to a point where you can almost have a glimpse this is a very beautiful poem of shirobindo thought the paraclete so paraclete is a word so it reconnoiters so through thought he takes us higher and higher higher and takes us to the door and say look here and then he leaves it at that because that's something which we have to pass into experience that's one part second the thought that he is constantly striving to reveal to us is a thought which can reconcile this world and world and god this is a central thought of all of shirobindo's writings and there have been efforts to reconcile it in different ways we'll see as we go through the different uh, uh, chapters of the life divine now in the very first chapter he he see this is such a realism shirobindo uses a word called spiritual realism so it's not just uh, you know entering into a lotus eating land oh we aspire for this therefore uh, so will it be he is saying that when we actually look at the appearances of life it seems to completely contradict all our aspiration you aspire for something beautiful and you encounter ugliness you aspire for truth you meet falsehood everywhere you aspire for immortal life and you see that death strikes a blow at its will 
and therefore many human beings at least temporarily go through a phase of frustration and give up the effort but this is something which can never die because this aspiration is seated in the soul which is immortal that's what he is trying to tell us that look this aspiration is bound to return and every time after a period of denial it returns with a greater vehemence you know it's like people who go through a state of disappointment sorry to use uh, this uh, you know uh, rather commonplace example they go through a disappointment in let's say love and they say oh it is all useless and this cannot be uh, all this is all kapal kalpana human beings wishful thinking uh, and when they come to me i tell them ye shamshan vairagya hai you know what is shamshan vairagya when they see a dead body you feel oh my god this is the end of human life after one day or even in the, in the evening i have seen you know when dead bodies are being taken and in the house they'll say oh my god this is the end of human life then the body is gone after that they'll say acha what are we going to have for lunch today so this is a state of human affair it bounces back and you just can't help it because this this ideal is coming from the deeper soul now the challenge is that well life denies it now or rather presents a completely opposite picture so here shirbindo reveals to us that this is exactly the method life uses so what it starts it like when you see a master musician that is the difference between a you know um cinema song people who sing a cinema song they come go to the stage and this sing a song because everything is ready and they do it and those who play ragas you see the first one hour or something sometime two hours if you really uh, uh, watch some of these master musicians go well in time they is tuning the instrument it is called as alap and if you don't have the patience to wait you will get up and go away but wait patiently and you will see after the alap it begins to slowly pick up pick up pick up and then you have the ecstasy uh, toward the end otherwise with the song it's like very nice you hear it and after that you are back to your uh, you know normal life so the divine uh, the the consciousness which is gone into the world uses this discord as a starting point and then he gives three concrete examples the first example is that if you look at the world of matter it looks there is no way this can really have a possibility of life and nature uses it to create life now how life emerges in matter is really marvel till date scientists do not know and there are various theories about it and uh, i won't discuss that but it's something very interesting how life originated in matter what made matter begin to climb crawl fly against gravity shedding its inertia what makes it do what it does so this is something like a marvel and where we don't understand in science we use the word chance accident but the uh, possibility is so less that till date scientists uh, are not sure whether life originated from matter or was seeded from elsewhere but the question remains wherever it came from how did it come there so but nature has not only accomplished it perfected it from the first algae moss uh, moss uh, and bacteria and virion probiotic life you look at what a complexity life has developed right in man and then the second challenge was to create a thinking man out of uh, monkey and if somebody didn't know that human beings exist and monkey world and just imagine that you know did would anybody would have believed that one day monkey will turn back upon monkey and study the monkey hood and turn back upon matter and life not only studied it but use it to perfection so this is and nature does with such patience you know the first change it did was uh, human beings uh, and the ape it just simply rotated the thumb a little and um the pelvis of a woman is built differently so that um, when a child comes out human beings are the only incidentally human beings who are never born fully developed at one level the level of the brain so it has accommodated uh, two years expansion of the brain so it's a very formative time when you can actually consciously participate nature uses that intelligence and it has accomplished the miracle and the third leap is which it has taken this mental thinking creature was so crude when you look at the past history of mankind as science tells us suddenly within him he'll be seized with a spiritual impulse and have glimpses of divinity here and there in the you know sages and saints and seers all this nature is accomplished so he says our present difficulty is not the sign of an impossibility it only says that there is a difficulty
We'll read some passages later on. Then he says that, well, human aspiration has taken two roots. So, it because with the aspiration, we think it must always be uh, towards God. It's towards a reality. What is the reality? Uh, that is the difference between prayer and aspiration. Prayer means a being. You can't pray vaguely and randomly. But aspiration can be, I wish the world is a perfect world. I aspire for a perfect world. It, it need not be towards a being. So this aspiration for discovering reality, call it truth, call it whatever, and using your discoveries for making this world a better place has been there in science and spirituality both. And it has taken these two roots. So in the typical material science, it has taken the root of digging deep into matter because that is the sensible thing. And eventually trying to find that one basis on which everything can be explained. That's why material scientists try to find a theory of everything. But uh, that everything actually excludes many things. For instance, you can't explain thought, you can't explain spiritual experience on this basis. It explains the objective phenomenal world as it appears to the senses. But the interesting part is when it tries to explain the world like this, it ends up saying that it doesn't really exist. It is the greatest paradox. <laughs> Look here, you are experiencing something. There is Recently I read something very interesting from a uh, Nobel laureate physicist he says you know all my life I have spent studying something that doesn't exist and the Upanishad says the same thing he says I am just wondering how what I was studying at the end to discover because matter is like a reality which at the end it collapses into nothingness so when we look at um, uh, we enter into the heart of matter so to enter into it, one has to deny all other because this is the need of you know any kind of specialized approach. So this pull towards matter and discovering its extreme has been at the expense of denying the spiritual reality. So you will see the material scientist if you go and tell him you know there is love. So he'll say there is probably a hormonal imbalance. He wants to explain everything on the basis of matter. This is called as material monism. And at times, this is so dangerous. Nowadays, we see people explaining things on the basis of, oh, there is a material process to it. Uh, this is very dangerous. It's not something very happy. That, you know, modern science has explained whatever Shastra says. Excuse me, if we do that, then there is no joy, wonder or anything. Uh, tomorrow, it will say, um, bliss is nothing but a button inside the brain. Uh, Atman is in the pineal gland This can be nothing more absurd But this is exactly the trend that This kind of material science took To arrive at what should be used The word is material monism So there is one reality that is matter Annam Brahmeti And on that basis you explain everything Right up to the most spiritual thing But actually you cannot explain And that's what should be reveals to us It needs just a little bit of um, chase thought To understand that there are plenty of things You cannot explain Because the biggest challenge is You are trying to explain something uh, On the basis of something else In which it is not present technically For instance genes So how do you explain a thinking man Or uh, you know a complex living being On the basis of genes Genes don't think or, uh, you know, consciousness on the basis of nervous system. The nerves are not conscious in themselves. So this is called in modern science or biological sciences, the evolutionary gap. You cannot explain what is being explained. You are presuming because of the nervous system, there is consciousness. But there is no real connection. Unless, as Shurabindu will reveal to us later, not in this chapter, so we can keep the suspense for till that time, that consciousness is involved into creation. So that's a different story. He will reveal to us. He will fill all the gaps in our understanding. On the other hand, when people went into the spiritual domain, so they had to deny this entire existence. This material world began more and more to appear just as a phenomenal appearance, which is equally valid. If you start withdrawing from this world, there is a time when you feel that what is this, this kind of vanity and you turn inward, then another kind of experiences begin to open its door, which are known as suprasensible. The materialist has nothing to do with it, just denies it. So there is the materialist denial. It says it doesn't exist. All these are hallucinations. But to the man taking that extreme course of asceticism, uh, here it is like the sannyasi who completely rejects this material phenomenal world because uh, even without studying through the physics process, he understands that it's nothing, it's nothing but nothing. So he explored the other pole to look at the reality and interestingly, 
he also arrives ultimately at a state of nothingness in which he goes now why he arrives people are very happy that he arrives at the same state of nothingness as this one but they have missed something and that something is what is between the two nothingnesses see there is this line in savitri what is between two nothingnesses is the universe why it has come into being if that is nothing on the other pole and this nothing at this pole how come it has come into existence so shirbindo explains that very beautifully that we use the word nothing now that comes in the reality omnipresent that we use the word nothing simply because that cannot be presented or defined by any terms in our vocabulary or any experience so we there is a word called non being so we have being and non being so uh, there is a whole spiritual philosophy or argument one line of even upanishadic thought where it regards the rishis discovered the being what did they discover the one being behind everything is sachidanand so they said but where did sachidanand come from you see people ask where were where is god born from so when they raised this bar they seeking they entered into what can be only described as non being you see the state yagnavalk speaks about that and the buddha speaks about that now why do they use the word nothing it our idea of nothing is that well nothing there is no thing but nothingness means there is no thing no idea no concept no percept with which we can really define that or explain that even the idea of self begins to pale into insignificance and those who want to uh, read this so beautifully this being and non being both we will see it in pursuit of the unknowable so there shobhita describes this state of nothingness which is still the presence of the one within it so nothingness uh, now the upanishads which lean towards nothingness they will say that uh, out of nothingness uh, no non being not nothingness no be- non being the being came into existence now we are playing with words because uh, out of non being being came implies time but there is no time there to start with so basically the two are two ways of looking at one truth see i can become a witness to the entire creation or i can become a participant in the entire creation so being withdrawing itself into its own unknowable infinity becomes non being non being presenting itself to formulate itself in the universe becomes being so sachidanand and parabrahman are not two irreconcilable truths but they are two ways of looking at one reality so formless and the form it's like that so there are two ways of looking at the same thing and shubhendra uses the word that out of parabrahman he shadowed forth so why he brings out the being because he wants this creation he or it or she doesn't matter because no mental term can define it so there is a beautiful poem of shubhendra parabrahman where he speaks about both time and space sink in that sea time becomes a wave space a wandering drop but at the same time he says the almighty one new labor pain and strife so he the moment being comes we may use the word out of non being for the sake of creation because that's how we encounter when from creation side we go we first encounter being and then we can pass into the non being those who want a complete release we see from the other side out of non being being comes into existence it is very interesting that the two are two ways of looking at the same thing and with being we can relate there is you know how we can relate we can say that he is infinite existence so when he is infinite existence all existences the cosmic and the individual derive from him he is infinite consciousness so all consciousness including the logged consciousness in an atom to the consciousness climbing in a man to the seer and the sage all comes from that one consciousness we also use the word infinite force because chit includes chit tapas chit shakti shiva so infinite force all force comes from that force from the force laboring in a again the atom and below to the force which is engaged in the spinning of galaxies to the force that awakens in the 
uh, as the kundalini from the base of spine and reaches its source all comes from that one force and we use the word infinite ananda so this ananda again in everything we have something of this ananda including when that's why when we look at material objects people say why who says there is ananda in it look at the material object when you are sick and tired of human beings just go and sit before a <laughs> not even living just look at a mountain if nothing else just watch on the i mean my two penny worth of free advice uh, look into the computer just look at a galaxy or look at mountain mountains see that within minutes everything vanishes why because there is ananda in it it is not in the computer it's in that image if one can go actually people go sit near the sea and it's so beautiful why does it really because there is ananda so there is ananda stream of ananda sap running right from the um, you know indivisibly divided matter state of matter to this state of unity so that's why he is infinite sachidananda and then you can ex- explain the cosmos and the individual so this reality which is omnipresent is not if we look at only at the non being we'll say it is nothing to do with creation but if we look at the being then we say everything is happening within that being all is krishna all is happening in krishna depending on why you which aspect you lean upon but why generally we use the word krishna because even in the non being there is this peace and there is this ananda the bliss of brahman so that's why and shubhendra says even in practical life you see buddha who spoke about the non being who else there is no single figure shubhendra says the greatest in terms of the highest spiritual flight and mightiest in terms of what he created and there is, there can be no doubt about it the way buddha created and look at all over the world his his that power in india it couldn't take root because india is a land with uh, it it seeks integrality but that apart when we look at buddha on one side he spoke of non being as the ultimate experience asad you know anatma and yet look at this state of non being one of the most powerful not one of shirbindo's word the mightiest spiritual action that one can ever imagine when we look at that that what an action what a bliss what a peace in that state of immobility that's why some of the film which have been made on buddha where you know you know whether it be chambers of shaolin or others where uh, a man in a state of buddha if you know when he engages with the world it's a very mighty action so they are not irreconcilable opposites they are complementary to each other so we must first arrive at immobility the stillness of the you know uh, one without a second call it whatever but at the same time because that one has become this creation and the individual we must engage with it so that is revealed in this chapter 5th the destiny of the individual because individual is the meeting point so what is what what is uh, this being of sachidananda doing he is built multiple multiple many out of himself but these many because you know there is this veil which will describe subsequent chapters uh, the seeming finiteness separateness because he is to build multiple multiple many so if there is no sense of separateness sense it, there can never be any real separateness if you look at from the being of sachidananda all is within himself that's why when we when shri krishna says look all these warriors are coming into me are coming out of me but when you look at from the other side there is a sense of separateness a finger may not know that i belong to the owner but the owner knows that this is my finger so it is something like that and of course that we have spoken of even in the gita very uh, in great detail so this seeming self loss and then the recovery process man becomes that term in which the many or each of these many can realize the one the unity but the question comes that does he realize the unity and does away with the many would or with the multiplicity of creation so we have these two answers again one is that traditional understanding of vedanta that yes then the purpose of many is over 
But of course, that makes an absurdity of the whole process. <laughs> so, I mean, except unless we say we become many, many, many Sachidanandas, miniatures, and we are living with him in that uh, highest world. So that, that's one way to look at it. But Shurvindu says that no, in fact, he becomes a nodus for helping many others by mere presence to realize this state of unity. Therefore, within the multiplicity, the unity is realized, and we don't have to abandon the multiplicity, we don't have to abandon birth um, uh, by discovering the state of non-birth before birth ever takes place. So this what is primarily and forcefully put in the Isha Upanishad and Shabindu several places will give us references to that. So we see that if one wants to understand what is the basis of the life divine, not everything but the basis, it is the Isha Upanishad. Shabindu himself has said that that's where we'll see the basis of the life divine. So either we talk about the multiplicity in which we live, state of ignorance and ego, and therefore we don't know the one, we don't know unity. Or we realize unity and we forget the multiplicity. But then he gives the example, there is one school of uh, Indian thought which does try to come near. And it says that if you look at nature, in nature both are simultaneously present. And uh, this he explains in great detail in the human cycle also. But look at it, look at a tree. All trees are different. All leaves are different. In the same tree, every leaf is different. There is a unique print. But trees as a species, as a family, first a particular tree as a species, it shares common characteristic. If you share tree as a family, genus, you see that it is the same. And if you go still further deeper down, living beings... So there is a state of oneness and there is a differentiation. In nature, both coexist all the time. And all the solid objects, material objects, same thing. If you go deep into them, what are they composed of? Same elements. Atoms, electron, proton, neutron. But if you look outside, such differences. How they come into being is a different question. And again, life divine gives us complete answer to all these things. But we see in nature, again with human beings, such variations... You go back to this aspiration which he has spoken of, of regardless of age, gender, um, education or rather literacy, continent, language, custom, aspiration is the same. Ask anybody. You want uh, quarrel or you want uh, peace? They will say peace and then they will start quarreling. That's a different story. They can't create peace within and can't create peace in the house. But you see, people fight a lot. And then you ask them, why are you fighting? Oh, there is no peace. Are, do you want peace? So, But look at this paradox. But always you will see deep within the same aspiration, which has been there in all mankind. Language. You go back to the same root sounds. And then you will see there is a development of uh, little letters uh, and then words and then meanings. By the time meanings come and over a period of time, everything becomes different. But if you go back, you'll discover it's common root language. So in nature, we see this oneness and multiplicity coexist. And so the destiny of the individual is to become that meeting point between the one and the money. That is his destiny. And to therefore facilitate the revelation of the one in terms of the many in this cosmos. And then, of course, Shurabindu in chapter 6 describes man in the universe. Um, what is he really... Uh, what is this universe? So this universe can be considered as a many, uh, many layered mansion of the Lord. Who owns it? The one. <laughs> he can move up and down freely. And this one is there in all the, all the layers. This also, of course, the ancient knowledge is there. That every bhuvan, the one is present. Agni Riyathaiko Bhuvanam Pravishto Rupam Rupam Pratirupa Bhavuva Eko Vashi Sarva Bhutantaratma Rupam Rupam Pratirupa Bhavuva So there is within and outside it assumes in that form so in every mansion it is the one divine Dash Mahavidya same thing same truth so in every mansion so this why this universe is created it is created to facilitate the emergence of this State of unity and diversity together in an individual. It's nothing but a play field. Shabinda used a very beautiful expression in Savitri. He made this vast universe 
a gymnasium of his works of might. So it's a gymnasium, you know, so nice to look at it like that. So as we go through the gymnasium, we grow in consciousness. And then after some time, we want to see what is this gymnasium? What is beyond it, behind it? And through this, the universe itself leads us step by step by step by step, matter to life to mind, layers of mind, till ultimately we discover that state of unity and multiplicity together. This is the basic thought. I have just stressed this to first six chapters. I'll just read some of the passages. The first paragraph we had already read. The second one, very beautiful. In the same book one, uh, that is chapter one, The Human Aspiration. The animal is a living laboratory in which nature has, it is said, worked out man. Man himself may well be a thinking and living laboratory in whom and with whose conscious cooperation she wills to work out the superman, the God. So this is so logical. Actually, if you really look at creation and understand evolution, at least to me as a 13-year-old, this was so logical that evolution cannot stop at man. How can dust become man and stop suddenly? God's work is finished. It's not finished. It's so obvious it is not finished. So where will it become? It will become what it is at the beginning. If you see an artist who is a master artist and he is making something and it's halfway through, the painting may look very weird or strange. But if you know the artist, oh, he is a master artist. They say, wait, he is going to create something so wonderful. He who in a jest created the galaxies, the plant, the stars, is he going to stop with such a two-legged? <laughs> I mean, most weirdest creature, man who doesn't know himself, who doesn't know his own, why he is there, <laughs> who is all the time struggling, half animal, half God. See, describes man as in Savitri as a cross between the demigod and the beast. You know, so this much is God, and the rest is beast-like. When a man comes to eat, then he wants to devour. When it comes to emotion, but somehow only God here. All the rest, or human here. All the rest is beastly. And some are even here. If this is also not human, then of course, asana mrityu is an animal state. King Bhartari says. So, this is, but what has happened in man, there is a conscious aspiration. So, the difference is, the mode of evolution has changed. Up till human beings, it's unconscious. Nature doesn't consult an animal that look here, I am going to turn O ape you into a human being. Ape will continue doing its banana activity. And one day its curiosity will lead it to rubber stone. And suddenly the ape man will discover fire and his world will change forever. <laughs> so this is the way up till now. But with man, Man discovers not only the outer fire but the inner fire. So a conscious evolution starts. So this is what he is revealing to us. And then he says something very beautiful. The will to escape from a cosmic necessity because it is arduous, difficult to justify by immediate tangible results, slow in regulating its operations, must turn out eventually to have been no acceptance of the truth of nature but a revolt against the secret, mightier will of the great mother. So it says that if you try to do it, that oh, this is too much. Superman, supramental being. There are some people in, you know, turn to Mother and Shiva, they dream of such things. You want to escape it? It is the will of nature. It will push you and push you and push you. Till finally you will say, okay, let's take this road. Or else collapse, because that's how nature operates. See, this is what is happening today. Crashing circumstances, pushing us, pushing us, pushing us. But we can consciously collaborate. So, then comes the materialist denial. I'll read. So, every passage is beautiful. But obviously, we can't cover every passage. So, I have made some selections. But everybody can make their own selection. They're very beautiful. So, materialist denial. The affirmation of a divine life upon earth and an immortal sense in mortal existence can have no base unless we recognize not only eternal spirit as the inhabitant of this bodily mansion, the wearer of this mutable robe, but accept matter of which it is made as a fit and noble material out of which he weaves constantly his garbs, builds recurrently the unending series of his mansions. Now imagine you meet a human being. 
and you say, hello, I am so and so. You say, no, no, you are not that. You say, what, this is your hand. Take off your dress, then let me see. You will take off your, don't take off, huh? But if you take off your dress, you will say, no, 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 this also is a dress. Ultimately, you will end up with Atman meeting Atman. And then Atman will merge with Atman. You know, somebody sent me a marriage card once. Atmiya Bandhu. Atman so-and-so is married, marrying Atman so-and-so. Please grace the occasion. So I wrote back, my Atman will be present. <laughs> with Atman gifts. You figure, figure out. <laughs> you see, so basically we have to accept this is the robe he has worn, woven. Why has he woven this robe for himself? There is a reason and a meaning behind it. And this robe has to be made ultimately befitting the uh, wearer. This is how, you know, people who are Vaishnava Bhakta understand it because they make the um, uh, Vigraha nicely dressed. In my house there used to be this puja, Ram, Sita, and you know, they'll wear nice dresses. If somebody says, yeah, murti go, then they'll be very annoyed. What murti? Ram ji hai, unki dress ban rahi hai. Ram ji ko, why God needs to wear a dress? Are, why not? This universe is his dress. Why should he, if he comes to you without the dress, you will be too shocked. You will be just, can't bear the sight. So he has woven. So this is the matter. Basically, he is ultimately will lead us to that point that matter is the condition of manifestation of the spirit. Now, where we will realize it, that also he will tell us. So, nor is this even enough to guard us against a recoil from life in the body, unless with the Upanishads perceiving behind their appearances the identity in a sense of these two extreme terms of existence, we are able to say in the very language of those ancient writings, matter also is Brahman. There are three Upanishads. Annam Brahmeti. This too is Brahman. The mistake that materialist makes is this only is Brahman. But this too is Brahman. So what happens is materialist discovering it, there is no problem. It's a good thing to discover. And Shubhindo says it is even necessary that humanity goes through this field. And the reason why he says is that if you don't go through this kind of, see, study of matter requires another kind of a rigorous uh, training of the reason. See all the statistical data and all. It's a very, very complicated process. It's not like um, it's easy for him to affirm that there is no other reality except matter. But to study matter demands a very exacting process. Even the study of the spirit demands an exacting process. But it's only when we have exercised and trained our intellect in this direction that we can safely enter into the supranormal experiences. Otherwise, you see how often we see, oh, I have seen God and I am governed by God and I am guided by God. Until you fall on the road and you say, what kind of God is he who made me fall? So this is the problem when the intellect is not trained. So he reveals that, that there is a reason why this materialist denial was needed. But first it is well that we should recognize the enormous, the indispensable utility of the very brief period. He's using the word very brief. Huh? If you see just 100-200 years that way of rationalistic materialism through which humanity has been passing. Maybe 300 Voltaire, I mean this started around that time. For that vast field of evidence and experience which now begins to reopen its gates to us. That vast field is the spiritual. Can only be safely entered when the intellect has been severely trained to a clear austerity. Seized on by unripe minds, it lends itself to the most perilous distortions and misleading imaginations. And actually in the past encrusted a real nucleus of truth with such an accretion of perverting superstitions and irrationalizing dogmas that all advance in true knowledge was rendered impossible. So intellect has to be trained through that process. I remember during medical college, somebody went and said, Kundalini Jagrat, you know, there is somebody who awakens your Kundalini in two days' time. So my friend had also gone. I said, what happened? He said, I felt a very cooling sensation in my spine. I said, I sure there was no AC or something, you know, behind and you felt. He said, oh, I didn't notice because there was so much going on all around. <laughs> I, I don't deny his experience. But I'm just saying, 
of course normally it may take a sense of something like warm because it's fire which is waking up but there is a cooling fire also but that apart the otherwise every kind of experience supraphysical world shubhendra uses the world intermediate zone in which death walks wearing the robe of deathless life that yesterday only we were speaking about it so it's important otherwise everything wo swami ji ne ye kar diya ye baba ji ne ye kar diya and we start imagining all kinds of things and make a superstition out of if you go there and you do, do this manna this will be fulfilled we have to understand the process even miracles have a process we call it miracle because we don't know the process the day we discover the process it will no more be a miracle we will know how to actually do it so this is where he says that humanity had to pass through for the faculties that transcended transcend the senses by the very fact of their being and mesh in matter mission to work in a physical body put in harness to draw one car along with the emotional desires and nervous impulses are exposed to a mixed functioning in which they are in danger of illuminating confusion rather than clarifying truth only shubhendra can write like that so suddenly you come out of it you may see what happens when people close their eyes that's why many people can't meditate because the moment they start meditating the neat world of outside i am such a good person collapses and a very different world begins to emerge so my god how to meditate are no wait this is a disorder which is being first <laughs> it's a common experience people who take to yoga sandhi in the beginning you see snakes sewage drainage pipe burst and you say beer on the road to god what is all this happening and you have to explain that this is the road to god <laughs> none can reach heaven who has not passed through hell so unless we have gone through this period of chastening of the intellect and worst is when uh, you know people even mistook over mind gods for this why over mind vital beings can appear as gods they can appear as luminous beings all kinds of guidance so this was important it is necessary therefore that advancing knowledge should base herself on a clear pure and disciplined intellect this is what scientific training and education is meant to do the normal studies not like everything that comes in what say oh this was a miracle there hold on just try to understand how things happen and he goes on to say that when we keep to the heights we can always reach when we keep our feet firmly on the physical earth is his footing says the upanishad whenever it imagine images the self that manifest in the universe and it is certainly the fact that the wider we extend and the surer we make our knowledge of the physical world the wider and surer becomes our foundation for the higher knowledge even for the highest even for brahma vidya so that's what yesterday we were speaking of padabhyam prithvi earth is the footing if you lose connection with that it's likely that berampur with that tel which you know oil which cures us of insanity we'll end up with that and then of course he speaks about uh, agnosticism if we pursue only the materialistic denial at the end we say actually we don't know because reason will reach that point it's materialist what is his instrument reason and the normal senses so it's so logical at the end of the rational intellect you say that i don't know it won't lead you to conclusion of atheism it's not possible because how are you going to deny something which you don't know exists or doesn't exist <laughs> that denial is a logical absurdity but agnosticism i don't know so shubhendra says now comes the other part the unknowable is not the unknown and then he says something very interesting the unknown unknown is not the unknowable it need not remain the unknown for us unless we choose ignorance so that's where he says that there are certain capacities faculties which are bound to develop and we can develop them methodically train them so that we don't get misled by anything and everything it has to be done in a methodical way that's why this takes time and then he says something very interesting that even when you develop this materialistic denial you will gain lot of powers this world other worlds entering into space so many possibilities but then but there is always a limit and an encumbrance that's where the materialism stops the limit of the material field in the knowledge the encumbrance of the material machinery in the power but here also the latest trend is highly significant of a freer future because science has entered the doors of the occult 
as the outposts of scientific knowledge come more and more to be set on the borders that divide the material from the immaterial mother said science has willingly entered the occult the immaterial so also the highest achievements of practical science are those which tend to simplify and reduce to the vanishing point the machinery by which the greatest effects are produced be ready for many more inventions to come wireless telegraphy is nature's exterior sign and pretext for a new orientation the sensible physical means for the transmission of the physical force is removed it is only preserved at the points of impulsion reception eventually even these must disappear for when the laws and force of the supraphysical are studied with the right starting point the means will infallibly be found for mind directly to seize on the physical energy and speed it accurately upon its errand now it makes sense about the pushpak viman and what bhargav rishi bhardwaj rishi writes in viman shastra that there are vimanas which are yantra chalit then there are mantra chalit tantra chalit and for each there is a different kind of pilot different kind of you matter has to be such that responds to thought you can't have dense matter so we have to discover matter from these subtle states we already speak about fourth state fifth state sixth state of matter science will discover a kind of matter which responds to thought probably this computer is an interface when the first computer was brought to mother 1960 and the person who had got he was telling me frank mathur he said uh, i was very nervous but you know first computer mother is looking curiously but it just won't work and then mother is smiling so he asked uh, mother i'm sorry i'll try he said no 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 the machine is receptive machine is receptive he said now you try and then it started working she was trying and experimenting so you see the moment you make these chips you will end up with an interface already these studies are going on where there will be interface between the human mind and the physical matter directly so you may have actually uh, auto things not driven by loading into gps but by thought of course it will lead to a kind of mastery like ravana and all these people have done yet even if we had full knowledge and control of the worlds immediately above matter there would still be a limitation and still a beyond so the problem is that will not take us that there will be a last point where you have to leap into the unity and if you don't do it it can lead to a collapse of the civilization atlantis the lanka of old are living proofs of that what mahabharata what what technology had developed you put a ban and by mantras you invoke the powers and the godheads and these are well within the range of human thought therefore comes the refusal of the ascetic starts with one of the shortest sentences in the life divine and still there is a beyond <laughs> so, all that materialists can gather by denying the spirit and extracting the powers of nature still there'll be a beyond he will not enter into that utter unity for on the other side of the cosmic consciousness there is attainable to us a consciousness yet more transcendent transcendent not only of the ego but of the cosmos itself against which the universe seems to stand out like a petty picture against an immeasurable background so then we discover uh, what is that other route by which we can reconcile matter and spirit is cosmic consciousness what is meant by cosmic consciousness bypassing the instruments which matter has created and organized you begin to experience things now you see it happens uh, spontaneously in certain people and it is going to happen we'll enter into that state of subjectivism where it will happen more and more telepathy is one example on one side there is wireless telegraphy there is telepathy poem yesterday we were talking about this example that so many of us felt this some special day and poems were coming we were feeling a kind of inward pull so there was a cosmic phenomena taking place it was mohini uh, ekadashi when lord vishnu had assumed the roop of mohini now you see this was happening somewhere we don't know champaklal ji on suddenly on certain ekadashi would wake get up suddenly and start dancing with ekadashi he used to get into contact with this 
of course the full moon day and its effect upon human beings is known so there is a interconnection of the individual with the cosmos which can be explored directly by extending the instruments of consciousness so basically what we have to understand is that the human body and the instruments it has evolved are only means who is the real user of this is consciousness this consciousness can act without these instruments the mother speaks that when she was 15 and once she was in the bed she started using uh, this opportunity to extend the consciousness beyond the walls is it possible is it possible so these once they begin to come up then we will understand that for cosmos this hardcore matter is only one formulation there are several kinds of matter and it expresses itself through them so there comes a last point where matter itself becomes so subtle that it becomes a means for manifesting the spirit and let me give that exa- one example there are people who had in their inner uh, states vision of the divine i'm saying an aspect of the divine mothers let's say and it leaves an impact upon the body and the mind now is it false the person who has had it says no there were objective changes in my life an assurance was given which remained throughout life so but if you saw it was a form what was that material out of which the divine suddenly appeared in a certain form it was surely not this matter but it was a matter appropriate to that consciousness which was expressing itself so when we enter into the cosmic consciousness we become aware that matter is actually the condition of the spirit for manifesting itself the formless uses matter to build forms but then gross matter dense matter is a different thing altogether so this is where he speaks of as we have seen how greatly materialism has served the ends of the divine so we must acknowledge the still greater service rendered by asceticism to life because asceticism crosses through these passages starve yourself for fi- i mean don't please don't do it but if somebody starves himself for few days cuts himself off from the senses if there are experiments like that people begin to actually experience other worldly phenomena this is not to be tried huh? these are experiments they may go crazy normally people say these are hallucination but other senses begin to open up ascetics do it in a very very they just cut off all relation with the physical world and they begin to enter into the cosmic consciousness so he says the sanyasi also did a service we shall preserve the truths of material science and its real utilities in the final harmony even if many or even if all of its existing forms have to be broken or left aside what is the truth which is that matter too has to be respected and present day science is going to be completely overtopped but there will be a science of sort which will use matter to manifest and even greater scruple of right preservation must guide us in our dealing with the legacy however actually diminished or depreciated of the aryan past so this is where he reveals that uh, the ascetic tendency ascetic spirit has its own place and otherwise we are remain entrenched in material life we cannot imagine there is anything more than that we cannot awaken to any deeper life so ascetic refusal to do with matter does open the possibility within man who is otherwise completely lost in material existence and finally the fourth chapter i don't think we can touch the other two reality omnipresent where he speaks of again through the cosmic consciousness but we'll just read maybe one or two passages hmm. non being is only a word when we examine the fact it represents we can no longer be sure that absolute non existence has any better chance than the infinite self of being more than an ideative formation of the mind this is in savitri the queen says where then is the soul security and it ends with this very powerful paradoxical line how can we then not say that eternal self is a fiction dreamed by mind how can we say that that state of non being experienced by the mind that too may be a fiction of the mind he says that if we follow that kind of logic we will never be able to arrive at truth 
So that's where we have to understand there is a point where the individual enters beyond the mind. So this nothing then is merely a something beyond positive conception. So from mental domain we can say that. How do you know that experience is true? But those who have had the experience, they actually experience such an immensity of vastness, such a deep peace and stillness, bliss which is unmistakable. So that's how and it has an impact upon life. So it has an impact upon our life, opens doors to different kinds of knowledge and uh, action of being. So that's what he says very beautifully. The non-being permits the being, being Satchidanan, non-being Parvrahma if we want to use the Indian terms. Even as the silence permits the activity, by this simultaneous negation and affirmation, not mutually destructive but complementary to each other like all contraries the simultaneous awareness of conscious self-being as a reality and the unknowable beyond as the same reality becomes realizable to the awakened human soul thus was it possible for the Buddha to attain the state of Nirvana and yet act puissantly in the world impersonal in his inner consciousness in his action the most powerful personality that we know of as having lived and produced results upon earth. So, that silence is all-powerful. And in several places, Shubhinda speaks of this very, very beautifully. Uh, in, uh, you know, Savitri Book 3, Canto 1, The Pursuit of the Unknowable, he actually describes the non-being state and then the Godhead of the whole. He is Sachidanand, the being. And how everything tends to disappear into it. Whose wings are studied upon life's stupendous wings. Whose feet were studied upon life's stupendous wings. So, we start then with the conception of an omnipresent reality of which neither the non-being at one end nor the universe at the other are negations that annul. They are rather different states of the reality of words and reverse affirmations. And we can take a very human example. You are sitting in an, your office space or uh, your well, home and suddenly you feel indrawn and you feel cut off from the whole universe. Even people in thought can get, you know, cut off from that state and they are withdrawn inside and in state of inner, as if nothing exists at that point of time. And suddenly somebody you cherish comes and then what happens? You are pulled out of that state. So are they two different persons? They are the same person in two different states. You can withdraw from this, enter into that state of complete negation. You can enter into this and then that same consciousness is pervading. That is the story of the Buddha when he comes back, which has been misinterpreted of course. So, his son comes to him and says, I want to be initiated. He is a nine-year-old. And the rule is that only with the parents' consent he can be initiated. So, he says that, well, his wife says, are you still his father? And Buddha smiles. See, Shubhinda gives this example. Just as we don't have to um, destroy the body to experience mind and life. In fact, it becomes the basis just as we don't have to destroy the body to experience even the ranges of the spirit, so also we don't have to destroy this creation or come out of it to experience the highest reality. This reality is all-pervading. It is at once a state of nothingness. It is at once the zero, which is a carrier of the all. It is at once ekamevidityam, the one without a second. It is at once that which nothing can define, describe, and this is where he leaves us beautifully. This creed, okay, I'll close with this. Therefore, we are justifying in supposing okay. the highest experience of this reality in the universe shows it to be not only a conscious existence, but a supreme intelligence and force and a self existent bliss. So, that is the Satchitananda. All existence is derived from that. So conscious existence, Sat Purush, Sat Lok. Yes, but it is not only Sat, it is Param Chaitanya. 
but a supreme intelligence and force. So everything has existence, but everything also operates as if there is an intelligent force working behind it and a self-existent bliss. So you have this tri- triune reality of Sachidanan. And beyond the universe, it is still some other unknowable existence, some utter and ineffable bliss. This perception must no doubt constantly support itself on an act of faith. But a faith which the highest reason, the widest and most potent reflection, do not deny but rather reform. Look at anything in creation, how it operates, and we will end up the way the Gita says, Asharevat Pashyati Kachidena. There is a consciousness and there is a force. Even an atom contains such tremendous force. And then you wonder. So, we say it is mechanical. And if we say nature is mechanical and God is there, then there is no other choice but to choose one of the two. Asceticism or materialism. But the moment we understand this, within the most material operations of nature, there is hidden a conscious intelligence and force which adapts means to an end. All evolution is about that. Adapts means to an end. Then we are forced to conclude that this intelligence, this force, this existence and this bliss is there very much in everything and behind everything, within everything. That is how Shabindra leaves us with the omnipresent reality. Namaste.